0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America, uh, brought to you in conjunction with St. Joseph Radio, St. Joseph Evangelization Network uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, where uh, this, uh, this is being recorded. But this is the program where we look at issues facing to America today through the looking glass of Christian thought. We compare what we're doing with Christian teaching and ask whether these are consistent. And if not, is Christian thought True and lasting. Um, if it is, then how much more important it is to know, to know it, and to know we are living uh, in accord with it. And if it is not true, then how is it not? And how is it that what we are doing is actually better? The question, the real question, is whether there is truth, whether there is such a thing called truth, and and. Uh, And where we can find it, and can you find it in, for example, a letter from St. Paul? If St. Paul was, in fact, uh, guided by the Holy Spirit, if he was uh, connected with um, Christ himself, if he was called as a true uh, apostle, uh, then if he had that connection to the truth, then what he says, what he said, would last, and it wouldn't change from place to place or time to time. And so it could be as relevant, it would will, it will be as relevant for us here in America today as it was to anybody to whom he wrote a letter 2,000 years ago. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, our program today is called Where Has All the Dignity Gone? Now, there was a song back in the 1960s. I uh, remember it well. Uh, I was young, but I was I was alive in the 60s. Um, song made popular by... Uh, uh, A group called Peter, Paul, and Mary. Where have all the flowers gone? And it talks about, yes, it starts, you know, where have all the flowers gone? Long time passing. Where have all they gone? Long time ago. Young girls have picked them, every one. And then the next stanza, same refrain, uh, and it asks about where have all the young girls gone? And they've gone for husbands, every one. And then where have all the husbands gone? Well, they've gone for soldiers, every one. And where have all the soldiers gone? Gone to graveyards, everyone. And then where have all the graveyards gone? Gone to flowers, everyone. It was uh, a song actually written before the Vietnam War. And it was a song um, that had origins that related back to um, wars in the Ukraine and Russia back in the 19th century. But the story is the same. War, war, and war. Um, and isn't it a, a shame? Isn't it a tragedy that all these young men die in war? And so the song was originally written in 1955, but then it became really popular in the next decade in the 1960s. And it became a protest song, a protest against the Vietnam War. There was an um, account I found of a soldier who said he first heard the song in, during Easter of 1968, while he was still a soldier, of course, 1968 was the height of American involvement in the Vietnam War. And he said uh, that he um, you know, was out of the army, and uh, months later in London, uh, he was helping to organize uh, protests against the Vietnam War. And again, he heard this song. And it was often sung, he said, on demonstrations and protest marches. And it became such a powerful voice for peace as a matter of fact there's a, uh, there's a uh, da, 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 there's a uh, an online there's a website called new, the new statesman and it ranked all it ranked the top twenty political songs of all time and this song "Where have all the flowers Gone?" made the list it's a song um, it's a song that somebody wrote somebody gave a uh, Um, a review of it. And uh, they said it's a lament on the cycles of violence that take many to war and then to the grave. It is a protest song couched within a love song. It is a song of loss and longing and confusion, a song that spotlights our shared humanity. And it's pegged uh, uh, pegged to this line, which is part of the refrain, when will we ever learn... Where have all the young men gone? When will we ever learn? We never learn. War and more war and more war. It seems like humanity never learns the lesson that war doesn't solve anything. This was the very fervent feeling back in the 1960s, which, as I say, although I was young, I can still remember, Um, people dying. Young men, eighteen-year-old men, nineteen-year-old men—you know, with their whole lives ahead of them—being sent to a foreign land to die in a jungle. Why was it necessary? World War One, millions died. Why was it necessary? What was what were people fighting for? What was really to be accomplished? And it's the same with every war. Is it really necessary? People die. It's a, it's a tragedy. Well. That song asks the question, where have the flowers gone? Where have the, where have the women gone? They've gone to marry men. Where have all the men gone? Gone to be soldiers. Where, and then it gives them an answer. Where have they gone? And the answer is they've all, you know, all the men go to die, and then they go to the graveyards, and then they go to become you know, uh, basically food for flowers. Um, so it's, it's cyclical. And it's, and it's, you know, when will we ever learn? It's, it's cyclical and it's sad um, because it's a story of, of broken love. You've got women who love these men who get taken from them and sent to die. And so it's a story of broken love, disrupted love. Um, and it's a story about—it's a protest against what people do to break those bonds of love— when will we ever learn? Why are we sending these men off to war? Well, as much of a powerful protest song as it was, there's another question that it does not ask. Um, and this question, too, we, you know, involves a need to lament. It, too, tells a tale of broken love. And it, too, mourns and bemoans, what people do to break those bonds of love. And that question, too, involves a lesson that we have never learned. What is that, what is that question? What is that lesson? Well, it was around during the time of St. Paul. And he wrote, You fool, what you sow is not brought to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel of wheat, perhaps, or of some other kind. God gives each of the seeds its own body. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall all be changed in an instant, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For that which is corruptible must clothe itself with incorruptibility. And that which is mortal must clothe itself with immortality. And when this which is corruptible clothes itself with incorruptibility, then this which is mortal clothes itself with immortality. Then the word that is written shall come about. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory where, O oh, death, is your sting? Mm-hmm. He's writing about another question. He's writing, a question, he's writing about uh, clothing ourselves with corruptibility and then dying, or clothing ourselves with incorruptibility and then living forever, where death has power no more. How could that be? when do we when do we achieve this status of you know clothing ourselves with incorruptibility? It's when we connect ourselves to God. Where have all the flowers gone? Can be translated a little bit? Where has all the dignity gone? That's the question that's not asked by the song. The song asks a question about people killing people and dying and war and the horrors of war. And it says, well, where have the soldiers gone? Well, they've gone to the graveyard. But then there's another question that's not asked. Well, what then? What then? Isn't that the question that people have mused about, pondered, you know, philosophied over? Uh, as long as men has been around, where do we go after death? And if that's true, that this is this pertinent question, and that there is an answer to this question, if there is a truth that can formulate the answer to that question, then how is it that um, there's this lament that we should make today How is it that people are doing something today to break bonds of love? Where's the love song in this? Um, Well, there's a recent development in the news coming out of the state of Washington. And in the state of Washington, the uh, senators—no, I'm sorry, it's not Washington. Excuse me. It's Wisconsin. The uh, Senate for the state of Wisconsin just approved a bill allowing dead bodies to be, zo- to be dissolved in a chemical bath and disposed like sewage. I kid you not. It's called alkaline hydrolysis. Um, and what it involves is taking a human body and instead of cremating the body with fire, You place it into some type of medical container. You put in a mixture of lye, um, and I don't know, perhaps some other chemicals. Um, You put it under high pressure, and you put it under high heat, apparently about 300 degrees. You basically boil the flesh uh, away. Um, And you take the normal process of decomposition that would take years, and you shorten it into hours. And what you're left with are, is um, a liquid um, and bones. Uh, the bones are then um, deposited. Uh, they can, they're apparently crushed and deposited into an urn. The liquid is dumped into the sewage system. I kid you not. It goes to a water treatment plant and gets, it gets treated. Um, uh, it produces a sterile liquid devoid of tissue and DNA um, in some cases the water is diverted and used for fertilizer gone to be food for flowers no doubt uh, because of the potassium and sodium content it says This is proponents of this process say it is greener it produces fewer carbon emissions than if you cremate with fire um there's a um, funeral director up in. Um, oh, it, was, it was in, it was in the, He was in the state of Washington. Uh, he. Um, uh, he. Uh, da, 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 um, oh yeah. There he is. Uh, oh, before we get to him, um, let's see. Um, there's lots of states that are now uh, making this legal. Um, oh, let's see how many. Da, 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 it's about. I think the current count is about 19 states. Uh, states like California, Colorado, Florida. Oh, uh, let's see: Illinois, Maine, Maryland, uh, Missouri, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oregon, uh, even some more: uh, Vermont, Washington, Wyoming. Um, 19 states allow this. Allow this to happen well, okay, is it a problem? What's wrong with that? Well, the Catholic Church is against it. Uh, Everywhere that it's been proposed, I believe the Catholic Church has come out with opposition to it. For example, here in the state of Missouri, the Catholic bishops of Missouri issued a statement. The problem is it fails to fully respect the dignity of the human person. Remember now, we're talking about this byproduct of this process, the liquid that remains, being flushed, literally, into a sewage system like garbage. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, it goes into the water and then the, it goes to a water treatment plant, it gets treated, the water gets re- recycled and used, goes back into the environment, just like when soldiers get buried in graveyards, they become food for flowers, what's the difference? Is there a difference? Is there any difference? Is there a truth? Is there something wrong with this? Um, as I said, the state of Washington has approved this. There's an archdiocesan Catholic cemeteries director uh, just north of the border in Vancouver, Canada, named uh, Peter Nobes, And um, he runs a cemetery of his own. Um, and what he said is that, you know, he's getting, they've gotten more and more requests. And this is the same with a lot of funeral directors in the states that have approved this. In the states where people are trying to get it approved, is that funeral directors are finding that more and more people are asking for this. Um, he said, Mr. Nobby said, people are conscious of the impact their burial choices have on the environment. So, to be more friendly to the environment, more friendly to Mother Earth, if you will, uh, we will dispose of people in this fashion. Well, and and so these funeral directors say, well, this is just a matter of choice. If the consumers are asking for it, and we should give it to them, and why not? I mean, why would you want to deny something that people ask for? So, don't we? Are we supposed to allow people to have freedom? Are we supposed to respect individual choice—the power to make individual choices? Well, yes and no. Uh, yes in certain case contexts, abortion. No in the context of the uh, coronavirus vaccine. Uh, it depends. But in any event, the principle is, of course, a good one, that people are entitled to have freedom. Um, and we should respect individual choices, except, of course, that I mean, there's got to be limits on everything. So except, of course, when it could do harm to other people, and, and that's, where, that's where the law comes in. Anyways, um, so why not give people this choice? Is there something wrong with it? Well, I don't know about Forcing people to do one thing or the other. The question of whether or not it should be there should be a law that allows this process to be, or a law that says no, it it is not permitted at all. That's a whole nother question. But the more important question is: Should people be asking for it? Should people desire to have it? Um, you know, our that that's really the ultimate question: Whether or not there's there's a law uh, on that whether or not there's some people that make these laws that can decide for all of us, it's not really the important question. The important question is, should people want it? Should anybody want it? Should we be educating people that it is wrong, that they should not want it? Because there is a higher truth. Well, if there is, it would be found in this writing of, of St. Paul. Um, what you sow is not brought to life until it dies. Just like a kernel of wheat or some other kind of seed that grows into a tree or uh, uh, you know, wheat or, kernel, you know, or, or corn stalk, just like any plant that grows from a seed. So a human that starts out as a very small seed, if you will, and then grows, and grows into a full-grown adult body and st paul says what you sow is not brought to life until it dies um, you know seeds are seeds come from plants often enough plants when they've spent their life and then they they you know spawn off other seeds seedlings and so forth so that they can continue it's the same with it's the same with humans and st paul says that there's a mystery beyond what happens to the human body after it dies. And he says people will all be changed, that we will become immortal, that death will be swallowed up in victory. Is he right or is he wrong? This question has, in fact, um, befuddled people for a long time. St. Paul himself um, encountered uh, a different point of view in Athens, Greece, he went there and speaking in the uh, Areopagus, which, uh, of course, was the place, um, sort of like a marketplace for philosophers. And people exchanged all kinds of views there. And he went there and uh, he talked about the fact that they had temples to all these different pagan gods. And then just to be on the safe side, they had a temple to an unknown god, just in case there was somebody that they you know, had left out. And so Paul said, "Well I know this unknown God uh, which you think might be there." and so he tried to spread the Christian message and people were interested in and he got some initial you know positive results. but then he talked about resurrection from the dead and then uh, people began to scoff uh, but a few people um, still were interested to hear him, but many were not. Many turned away from him at that point. Because there was a, uh, there was a popular uh, saying, a maxim, uh, that was part of the culture at the time. And, uh, and what it said is that when a man has died and the earth has drank of his blood, there is no resurrection. That's what many Greek uh, Greeks thought at the time. When a man has died and the earth has drank of his blood, there is no resurrection. Were they right? If so, that bears a remarkable resemblance resemblance to this uh, alkaline hydrolysis, this process of liquid cremation, as it's called, when the earth has drank of its blood. You reduce people to a liquid, and then you return it to the earth through a water system, a sewage system. Isn't that, is that not the earth drinking of the blood of these people who have died and then been subjected to this process? And then they say, the Greeks, have said, Greeks used to say, well then there is no resurrection. The Catholic bishops object to this alkaline hydrolysis because they say it's catholic teaching that the body must be kept intact whether it's uh, just burial or whether it's cremation where the body's just changed into another form it's just burned and then reduced to ash um, you know it's a, it's said you know from that that man came from dust Let's go back to the book of genesis man came from dust and the dust he shall return cremation is nothing more than just that but the ashes are then kept in one place. They're kept in an urn. When a body decomposes inside a casket, it's kept in one place. It's inside that casket. It's inside that burial lot. It's kept there, waiting for this change that St. Paul talks about. That's the Catholics, Catholic Church's belief. Are they right? Can we just take ashes and spread them wherever we want? Can we take a person and put it into a bath of lye, heat it up, and put it under high pressure and— then send the remains, send the results to a water sewage plant. Does it make a difference? Does it make a difference? Um, I, is not the difference whether or not there's any difference between people and plants, people and animals, people and anything else? Are people special? Well, if so, if we are, let's assume for a second that the Catholic Church is correct. Let's assume for a second that St. Paul is correct, that we will be clothed with incorruptibility and immortality, hopefully. If we've, if we've managed to make our way to heaven, um, if that's true, then there's a love that's being broken, if we don't recognize it. Is this not something we should lament? Is this not something that we should sing a song, perhaps? Where has all the dignity gone? If God loves us and has given us a body and wants us to return to him, and then we take that body and we mingle it with the rest of the earth, just like just like fields of grass or anything else that exists here in the world, Um. God came into the world in the form of Christ. He came in the form of a human person. Was that just chance? Was he not real? Uh, Does it not matter? I mean, if he came as a human person and he was a divine being, if he was God, then in fact there is something special. There is is a reason why he came as a human person. There is something different about being human. But if he's not God, if he was not, you know, then— but no, it's, it's no big deal. And there is no difference between humans and others. Is there a Again, we get back to that. Um, but And if the answer is, yeah, there's a God, and that he loves us, and yeah, he created us as a human person so that we can love him, so that we then have the power of our brains to decide to love him or decide to turn away from him, that we are people that have – the ability to make a choice that plants don't have, animals don't have, then there's a reason. There's a reason for us, and there's a love for us—a love that God wants to give us, and a love that He wants us to give to everybody else, and a love that He wants to give wants us to give back to Him. It's all about the love. It's a cycle of love, and if we take this creation that He's given us and dispose of it in water sewage plants, are we not breaking that love? Is the lesson never learned. You know, it's a—I mean, you can say that wars, the Vietnam War, World War I, all these wars, where there are these tragedies where these bonds of love that are broken that we never learn because we continue to perpetrate more and more war. Well, the same can be said of this relationship with God if he's there. Um Isaiah wrote about it, the prophet Isaiah, you know, uh, seven centuries before Christ. He writes, who would believe what we have heard? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He was dealing with it in his time. People didn't believe. They didn't believe in this one God. Uh, they worshipped golden images made into the form of calves or other animals. They didn't believe in God, and he said, who would believe what we have heard? Same question today. Who would believe what we have heard? Back in Isaiah's day, there were the prophets who heard uh, the words of words of God. And he was trying to convince his fellow uh, Jews and Israelis, to to believe this. They didn't have Christ. Now we have had Christ. Who has not heard of Christ? Who would believe? Who is there who's going to believe what we have heard about Christ? Uh, St. John in his Gospel writes that Isaiah said this because he saw glory. Uh, He saw the glory of Christ and spoke about him And he did. He prophesied about the Messiah. Um, Nevertheless, St. John says, nevertheless, many, even among the authorities, um, believed in him. I'm talking about Jesus now. Many, even among the authorities, the Jewish authorities at the time of Christ, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not acknowledge it openly in order not to be expelled. What about that question? Can we ask that question for us today? Um, Who would believe what we have heard? Or, even if you do believe, are you afraid because of the authorities to acknowledge it openly because you don't want to be expelled, you don't want to be rejected? If you come out and say today, this process of alkaline hydrolysis does not respect uh, the dignity of the human person, does not respect the gift from God that each person is created in the image of God, meaning that they have the capacity of love and are meant to love just as God is love. That image is the image of God that were designed for. Um, if, uh, if you say that, that this process does not respect that. And then you're going to be called someone who doesn't respect the ability of others to make choices. You can be called um, some type of elitist. Uh, You run the risk of being out of step with the culture, of being hard-headed and and draconian, uh, of forcing your opinions on others. You will be subjected to ridicule um it happens in many with many different things in our society today and you'll be subjected to that but who's going to stand up and say this where are the people who are going to say that this that there is a god that there is a truth that we are born special that we do have the ability to be clothed with incorruptibility this reading from st paul that we took as often read at funeral masses. We will be changed in an instant, in the blink of an eye. It's comforting if you've had a loved one to died and you're at a funeral to believe that Is that all it is? It's just comforting talk. Is there no truth? Is there no reality? How often do we ask ourselves, is there no truth? Is there no reality? Is this true? Is there a God? Was Christ real? How often do we ask ourselves those questions? And if we do, do we stop there? Gee, I wonder about that. But then never dig into it, never search, never seek an answer, and never do it honestly. And when I say honestly, I mean honest to ourselves are we open to the answer are we willing to accept the answer depending on, you know where our search leaves us leads us are we afraid we're we afraid of where it might lead us um, so we don't pursue it um and we just leave it there and we let people say well it's just their choice It's whatever they want to believe you know there's a cycle to this as well there's another prophet uh he uh again was was a Jew. He was before the time of Isaiah. His name was Hosea. Um and he's and he wrote about um he wrote this uh it's it's a it's it's an account of uh God thinking about the Israelis who have again turned away from him and he says Shall I deliver them from the power of Sheol, from death? Shall I redeem them from death? Where are your plagues, O death? Where is your sting, Sheol? It's the same thing that we, uh, that we heard from St. Paul, O death, where is your sting? Well, he's recounting Hosea, um, almost a thousand years before god's considering whether or not He should deliver them from death. Uh, he should deliver them from the sting of death, He should save them from death, He should give them resurrection. These people who have turned away from him because they 've rejected him, they 've rejected His gift, they uh, they honor molten calves, molten images. Um, Hosea writes about, you know, they've got these silver idols that they craft according to their own hand, according to their own skill. They're human, uh, human made. Uh, To these, offer sacrifice, they say, people kiss calves, these silver or golden images. We create things um, out of our own human hands and then worship them as a religion. Are we not doing that today? Are we not creating an image of ourselves? Is it not, instead of golden, golden calf, are we not elevating some golden or mystical image of ourselves? Um, or of Mother Earth? Um, are we you know, thinking that, well, there is nothing uh, beyond this world, beyond this life? It's the same question over and over and over again. And the Bible is basically this story of God, uh, you know, coming back to us again and again and again. It's the same with war. You'd think we would learn the lesson. We have a war. People die. People mourn. Bonds of love are broken. People's lives are disrupted and destroyed. Um, if you have someone that's a true love and that person is taken away from you to go, and made to go fight in a war and then dies and can never come back. And maybe you never find another love like that again. Maybe you never find another person like that that you can love just as much. Your life has been ruined. Not to say, not to say anything about the soldier who's died, who's lost that chance for love, and he, he certainly doesn't have the chance to find any, any woman again that he can love just as much. He's dead. Tragedy something to be lamented, to be mourned. And we never learn. After one war, we think we learn, then there's another. We have a world war, and it's not enough. We have another world war where even more millions of people are killed. Okay? That one should certainly be enough. We'll form a United Nations. We'll make sure this never happens again. And yet it does. Then we have the Vietnam War. We have the Korean War. We have the Vietnam War. There are other wars in other countries. There's Civil wars um, in in Serbia and in the former Yugoslavia. There's, you know, there's wars all around the world. There's wars in Africa. There's wars everywhere. We never learn. We never learn, and so it is with this relationship, this love, this bond of love with God. The Israeli people uh, were taken out of Egypt. They received manna from heaven. They literally received food uh, from nowhere. It was a miracle. And then they forget. Then we, and, pe- and they forget, and they turn from God. So God says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll send my own son. And he comes down, and he performs miracles. He performs miracle after miracle. And people, they don't remember. They forget. They turn away from him. Um, this is something that John... Wrote about. St. John says um, that although he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. Um, You know, it's just like Isaiah centuries before. Who would believe what we have heard? Now it's who would believe what we have seen. And for us today, who would believe what we have heard about Jesus? These questions. The same question comes back again and again. And we never learn. We have war after war. People die. It's tragic. It's, it's terrible. And then we do it again. We never learn. We turn away from God. And then we mourn. We, we realize our mistake. We end up with societies where there's less love where people turn on one another, because if there is no God that unites them all, then it becomes everybody, then it becomes a survival of the fittest, everybody for themselves. We think we can fashion our own moral system, our own moral state, where we will all believe that we're all connected and that, you know, to do good to your neighbor ultimately comes to your benefit because we're all part of one bigger community. But it never works that way. We never learn. As uh, perhaps the most prominent atheist in the world, Richard Dawkins has been an ardent opponent of any kind of religion for decades, Um, vehement opponent of any kind of religion. Religion has been the reason for all that is wrong in the world. In fact, the reason we have protests or songs about wars, the reason we have wars— It's because of this belief, these, these people who believe in God. Most of the tragic wars in the world have been over religion, according to Mr. Dawkins. And if we get rid of religion, we'll get rid of war. We'll get rid of all these nasty things. Well, just recently, now in the later years of his life, just very recently, he admitted to a London newspaper. Well, perhaps it's good if we do have some religion. If people do believe there's something watching over them. Somebody who could perhaps punish them. Somebody who could keep them in line. Maybe we do need God to have some morality to keep people from behaving horribly against one another. Why would he say such a thing after decades of being such a violent opponent of this? Is it because, just like someone who has lived through years of war, he's beginning to see that there's you know, just so much tragedy that comes of it. Have we beginning to see that without, without God in our world, that we're becoming more and more hostile towards one another. Have there always been serial killers? Or have there been serial killers, people who just indiscriminately walk into places and shoot other people, seemingly for no reason? No, that hasn't always been the case. And if you did have somebody that did that, certainly not as often as we have now, people are copying this. People see it on the news, and then they go out and copy it. Um, And perhaps that's why Dawkins is now saying, well, maybe it would be good if people had some God over them, something to keep them honest, so to speak. For Dawkins to admit this, it's amazing. It's amazing. Why? Why would—is there a truth— is there another truth? Do we need um, some God over us to keep us honest? He used to think for years that we didn't and now he seems to think that we do. Um, we ask the same question over and over and over again. There's a uh, there's a man who uh, had a conversion who Originally thought that we needed no God, um, and then we did. Um, he was a man uh, named uh, um, Stuart Long, and he lived in Montana, and he went to Carroll College, which was a Catholic university, but he wasn't Catholic. He remembers being required to attend mass as part of uh, f- uh, football game preparation. He was on the football team. Um, but the only reason he went was because he was required to as part of being a football player. He would often argue with teachers, interrupt class, and ask deliberately ignorant questions that didn't relate to the content. He was an agnostic, and he was a troublemaker. Um, He um, pursued uh, boxing. He won the Montana Golden Gloves Championship in 1985. He pursued an acting career, went down to Los Angeles in Hollywood. Had some success being in some commercials and was, uh, had some roles as an extra in some movies. Um, that didn't go as far as he wanted, so then he uh, worked in a nightclub. Uh, it was a comedy club in a bar. He finished with that and then worked in a museum for uh, some years, seven years. He was a manager of a museum in Pasadena, California. Um, and then and he used to ride a motorcycle. And one day when he was coming home from his job at the museum, um, he got hit by a car. And uh, he got smashed into a car in the next lane um, and smashed into this car in the next lane with his head. And then he was, he was rolling on the ground and another car ran over the top of him. Um, and uh, so he had this horrible accident. And while he was in the hospital, he had a religious experience, a mystical experience. And he became a Catholic priest. This person who had started out an agnostic, somebody who was deliberately argumentative, a troublemaker, couldn't stand this idea that there was this this God, um, and that people were trying to make him believe um, or make him go to mass, he became a priest. What a change! what a dramatic conversion! How does that happen? Is that a mistake is he was he fooled? Um, did he have something that happened to his heart, and is it just you know because well, you yeah, now he 's on the brink of death and so to cover his bases, he became... well, of course, once he gets out of the hospital, he's no longer on the brink of death. So why become a priest then? Did he have an actual mystical experience, a connection with something bigger than ourselves, an actual uh, real-world supernatural experience? Do those exist? Do miracles exist? Is that what happened to him? Well, they do exist. They do happen. And apparently that's what happened to him. Uh, And now, his story, his life story, uh, is being turned into a movie. Uh, Mark Wahlberg and uh, Mel Gibson are going to be involved in it. So apparently um, it's, uh, it's going to be in production very soon. And a movie of his life is going to be coming out, this movie of his conversion. Um, is, there, is, is there this truth? Is He fought this message. He fought it for years. Um, it's like the Israelis back and the Jews, back in the time of the Old Testament. They fought the idea of this one God that the prophets spoke about. And they ended up having to come back to it. And just so, Father Long. He fought it for years, then had to come back to it. Just so with uh, the people in the time of Christ. They fought what they had seen with their own eyes and wouldn't believe. But eventually some people came back to it. And where are we Today? Are we making the same mistake? You know, the biggest, the biggest, most unimaginable love would be the love of God. As horrible as it is to have somebody go off to war and to lose the love of your life because that person dies in a war and then goes to a graveyard, everyone, and as horrible as that is and you're sitting there having lost this person then asking yourself why was this necessary? Why did this person have to go? When will we ever ever learn? As horrible as that is. What if there's a bigger love? How horrible would it be to lose that love? When will we ever learn? If there is this God and we turn away from him and we break that bond of love with him, would that not be the tragedy of tragedies? As horrible as it is to lose a person to, you know, being killed in a war, as much pain in your heart as you feel for that and with that, what would it be like to, after your life is over, feel the loss of the love of God. How much incredibly, unimaginably, unspeakably bigger would that love have been, how unimaginably, unspeakably bigger would be the loss and the pain in your heart. If that's true, then we would respect this gift of the human body given to us by God. The only reason that we might treat the human body as something we could dispose of by being flushed into a sewage system is because we're losing that sense that there is a God, that there is this unimaginably, unspeakably uh, bigger love of God. And that would be a tragedy. That would be a tragedy that songs should be written about, that people should bemoan and bewail. Um, But we don't seem to be mindful of that these days. If... This is happening. If people don't have this sense, and if it is true that there is this love of God, then it can only be because we're not looking, that we don't want to know the answer. Um, This person that we call Jesus Christ Do we believe he never lived? Do we believe he never did miracles? Do we believe that other people who believed were all fooled? And that's why all the original apostles, I believe except one, suffered a martyr's death. You know, were they all fools? It's not true. Do we believe all of those things? Do we believe there are no miracles in the world? Do we believe that there are no miracles uh, with the Eucharist? I've got hundreds of them I can tell you about. Um, do we believe there are no saints, that these people uh, didn't perform miracles because they didn't get close to God? Do we believe we can't be a saint, that we can't have a miracle, you know, if, if we pray for it, if we get close to God, and if it's in accord with his will? You know, I, I mean, is, and do we not believe because we're not looking? Um, it is true. Seek, and you will find. All you have to do is be willing. Well, we've got 20 states that are allow- so far allowing this, this process. Probably more on the way. Um, and it will be just one more. And maybe you haven't even heard of this yet. Maybe you don't know anything about this this process of disposing people. Or maybe you don't know that what happens is that people literally get flushed into, into a sewage system afterwards. Was that what you would want for a family member, somebody that you love, flushed into a sewage system? Would you not care? Um, disturbing, but it is what's happening, and it is something we ought to know about. And we hope that uh, this has been a little illuminating. We hope it's been a little provocative. Um, these questions do relate these things that go on in our society do ultimately relate to: is there a God? That is the ultimate end of every question, every issue that you know we we worry about and try to we argue about and debate about. Ultimately, will come down in the very end to: is there a God? We should never stop asking, never stop seeking that answer. So, and we hope you never do. And we hope, as I said, that you found, we found this, uh, you found this a little interesting. And we hope you'll join us again. And until you do, until the next time, God bless.